0: Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day.
1: And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Are you out driving? At home? Elsewhere on your mobile device? Listening with family or a friend or two? Catching the podcast? Well, it's been quite a ride so far, hasn't it? Our series Faith's Fundamentals Building a Solid Belief System began with getting some handles on the nature of God, navigating through our understanding of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as triune persons comprising the one God, while one in the divine nature, their distinct in personalities, identities, and wills. Then we transition to the nature of man, in other words, the nature of human beings with segments on sin and then salvation god's ultimate search and rescue operation god was compelled by love and in spite of us being sinners he sent his only son jesus christ that whoever places their faith and trust in him for the salvation of their soul will gain eternal life Our last two installments then focused our attention on the nature of faith, sometimes an elusive and misunderstood topic. Well, friends, today we'll take a sober look at the fundamental nature of the spirit world and prime enemy of our faith and our relationship with God. Today, in part 10, we'll pull the curtain back on Satan, our ultimate arch-enemy. Our underlying text for today will be several verses from 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 5. But before we break open the scriptures, I'd like to share a unique portrayal of the enemy of our souls. In the publication, Pulpit Helps, writer Douglas Parsons gives us a dark twist on Jesus' Beatitudes. In other words, the Sermon on the Mount. Found in Matthew 5, Parsons calls these the devil's beatitudes, and here they are, friends. Blessed are they who are too tired and too busy to attend church on Sunday, for they are my best workers. Blessed are they who are bored with the minister's mannerisms and mistakes, for they get nothing out of the sermon. Blessed are the church members who expect to be invited to their own church, for they are part of the problem instead of part of the solution. Blessed are the gossipers, for they cause strife and divisions that please me. Blessed are the ones easily offended, for they soon get angry and quit. Blessed are they who do not give their offerings to carry on God's work, for they are my best helpers. Blessed are they who profess to love God, but hate their brothers and sisters, for they shall be with me forever. Blessed are the troublemakers, for they shall be called children of the devil. Blessed are they who have no time to pray, for they will become easy prey. Wow, that's certainly a convicting reversal on Jesus's beatitudes, isn't it? Worth taking in and dwelling on for a while, right? Well, friends, as I alluded to earlier, let's take a closer and sober look at the enemy of our souls, the one and only Satan, our spiritual nemesis, if you will, our ultimate arch enemy. Now, it's possible you might ask, How is this look at Satan a logical progression from our previous discussion on faith. And you know what? That would be a good question. So I'll suggest for an answer that we recall part of our discussion last time on faith when we examined Hebrews 11, which provided us with a laundry list of both victors and victims or martyrs who were all commended by God for their faith. You might even recall I proposed that Hebrews 11 is not so much a definition of faith as it was a description of the assumed behavior of faith. Clearly, those listed in Hebrews 11 were tested, yet they trusted. Well, friends, First Peter, Chapter One, and Chapter Five both happen to be portions of Scripture that talk about tested faith, and it's here I'd like to begin our scriptural journey. so here's first Peter one, three through nine. Blessed be, or praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll stop here for just a moment, because the word choice by Peter here in the Greek is a word eulogitos. Can you guess what English word comes from eulogitos? If you guessed eulogy, you are right. Now, this seems like a quirky word to us, doesn't it? After all, we associate eulogies with funerals. But listen to what this really cool word means. To speak well of, be worthy of praise, to celebrate, acknowledge good things. In other words, we eulogize God. We speak well of him. We praise him. Cool, huh? Okay, let's get back to 1 Peter. I'll repeat verse 3 for us. Blessed be, or praise be, or let's speak well of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by god's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, or you are actively putting your faith in him. The word faith here is a verb denoting action, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, let's fast forward to 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up or exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert or watch and be of sober mind. Your enemy or your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And this word means to swallow up, consume, drink down, or destroy in the Greek language. Resist him. The word resist is a verb indicating actively resisting, actively withstanding or opposing him, standing firm in the faith. And the article the is there in the original. This is the faith once for all given that we should be defending, according to Jude's letter, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, Firm and steadfast, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Friends, I'm hoping that we're coming to realize that faith cannot function in a vacuum. Faith must have both an object and outlets through which it's expressed and nurtured. The object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the outlets through which our faith is expressed and nurtured may be seen as operating in two spheres of life, the vertical sphere and the horizontal sphere. The vertical sphere is our connection to and our relationship with the Lord Jesus. It is in this sphere where we place our trust in him. It is in this sphere that we rely on him, cling to him, adhere to him. The horizontal sphere is our connection to and our relationship to the world and its systems people, priorities, methods, influences, etc. And since the scriptures tell us in 1 John five nineteen that the whole world is under the control of or lies in the power of the evil one, the devil, the world can sometimes be pictured like the Wizard of Oz. Friends, remember the scene in the Wizard of Oz when Dorothy, her dog Toto, And their three traveling companions, the Tin Man, the Lion, and the Scarecrow, finally arrive in the Emerald City and meet the wizard? Remember, there's this thundering voice, smoke and mirrors, and Toto runs up and pulls back a curtain, revealing a man operating knobs and levers and throwing switches. When the wizard realizes he's been discovered, he blurts out what? Come on, you know it. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Well, friends, sometimes behind the curtain of the world's activities lies Satan. Turning knobs, operating levers, and throwing switches. And unfortunately, many people are totally oblivious to this being behind the curtain. Let me just say here that these two spheres of influence, the vertical and the horizontal, have to be kept in balance. The history of Christianity teaches us that it was an overemphasis in the vertical sphere that led to the monastic movement at the end of the 3rd century and turn of the 4th century. You know, monks and monasteries and what I call the religious hermit mentality. Here the notion developed that the only way to maintain a true connection to or an a, a dis- undistracted relationship with God was to remove oneself from the world and its systems. On the other hand, it was an overemphasis on the horizontal sphere that led to the social gospel movement, where the church plunged itself into the world of people becoming aggressively active in humanitarian efforts and social causes, but leaving the spiritual salvation aspect of the gospel out of the equation entirely. Now, friends, our faith is generally tested in three arenas of life. First, in everyday life experiences and the challenges that confront us by the world's systems. Second, by the allurements to fulfill the appetites of our body and mind in ways contrary to the will and word of God. And third, by the counter moves and influences of Satan, but only by the direct permission and providence of God. Now friends, these three arenas of life pop up in Genesis 3, where Eve faced them in her duel with the devil. They also curiously appear in Matthew 4, where Jesus battled with the devil in the wilderness. And I find it interesting that the Apostle John mentions these three arenas in his exhortation to his churches in 1 John two fifteen through 17 The late Billy Graham once said, Satan must be the most frustrated personality in the universe. His army of demons is compelled to obey Jesus, and whatever the devil does to discourage Christians, God can use for the Christian's benefit. You see, friends, we sometimes live by the mistaken notion that we are dealing with a struggle between two eternal and equal forces, God and Satan. Nothing could be further from the truth. That notion underlies the philosophy of dualism. Christians are not dualists. The God of the Bible, who created the world and everything in it, rules Even Satan and his angelic minions, the demons, God's nemesis wannabes, if you will, who oppose God and his plans, have their power delegated and restricted by God. They're used by God in accordance with his ultimate divine plan, which is sometimes a mystery to us and sometimes elusive. But in the end, when God's program is finally complete, their destiny will be sealed in the lake of fire. Granted, there are many people who deny the existence of Satan. They claim that Satan is merely a principle of evil or the personification of evil influence in the human heart. Charles Baudelain, who lived in the 1800s, said, The devil's best ruse is to persuade us that he does not exist. Well, friends, we are aware of the fact that Satan is not a principle. Satan is not a personification. Satan is a person. The existence of Satan cannot be determined by human opinions. The only reliable source of information is the word of God. Is it any wonder why Satan works overtime to discredit the word of God? Remember his cunning comeback to Eve in Genesis 3? Did God really say? Satan was undermining and weakening God's authority. Friends, the existence of a personal spirit of evil is clearly revealed in Scripture. The existence of Satan is taught in five Old Testament books, Genesis, First Chronicles, Job, Psalms, and Zechariah, and by every New Testament writer. Some scholars believe Satan is behind the scenes in portions of Isaiah and Ezekiel. If this is true, then seven Old Testament books mention him. Jesus himself acknowledged the existence of, taught about, and personally encountered and engaged Satan. The Old Testament assumes the existence of Satan, much like it assumes the existence of God. The biblical story unfolds depending on the reality of both. The plot in Genesis 3 depends on the reality of Satan working through the serpent in Eden to cause the fall of the human race into sin via Eve and Adam, our first parents, Job's tragedy and triumph are rooted in his personal challenges mediated by the battle between God and Satan. You can read about this in Job chapters 1 and 2. In 1st Chronicles 21, a crucial judgment on Israel killing 70,000 is linked directly to Satan motivating David to number Israel in a census. In the Psalms we discover that behind idolatry lies the reality of demons and the adversary, which is the Hebrew meaning of the word Satan. In parts of Isaiah and Ezekiel, some Bible teachers propose that it becomes difficult to explain the seeming superhuman power behind two kings without the reality of Satan's existence and influence as a personal being. You may disagree with this hypothesis, and that's okay as it is just one theory. Every New Testament writer recognizes the existence of Satan, although not in every book. Nine of the 27 New Testament books mention Satan or use one of his names. Of the eight that do not specifically mention him by name, four imply his existence by mentioning evil angels or demons. In the Gospels, 25 of the 29 references to Satan come directly from the mouth of Jesus himself. The fascinating study of angels in scripture, and by that I mean both the good and evil angels as well as Satan, is called by theologians angelology. Studying both evil and elect angels as revealed in scripture, friends, actually helps us to first better understand the Bible and second better understand the Christian life. Christian ministry, God's plan of the ages, world conditions, and the course of world affairs, and studying the nature and activities of the spirit world as seen through the eyes of Bible writers increases our appreciation of a sovereign God whose creative ability, control of the universe, An intervention on our behalf assures our good and his glory. Satan is not a figment of the human imagination or a personification of evil, but as I said, he's a genuine person. He has personality, intellect, emotions, and will, Scripture reveals. Satan fell from his original holy estate when he rebelled against God incurring his own condemnation recall Jesus said that hell was created for the devil and his angels in Matthew 25:41 and Lucifer evidently enticed a third of the angelic beings to defect with him, as it seems Revelation 12.4 is communicating. Satan and his minion angels are now opposed to God, his program, and his people. Satan is a created being who is held morally responsible and accountable for his actions. In Colossians one sixteen we're told that God, through Christ, created all things in the heavens and on earth, both visible and invisible, in other words, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, etc Personally, I believe these categories represent ranks of angelic beings, and please feel free to read on your own isaiah fourteen twelve through fifteen and ezekiel twenty eight eleven through eighteen as I mentioned earlier, there are divided opinions on these two portions and whether satan is the being and the evil spiritual force behind the two kings i provide these strictly as food for thought friends sometimes we live in and behave as if satan were omniscient omnipotent and omnipresent but he is not is satan intelligent absolutely Revelation 12, 12 tells us, Woe to the earth, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Does Satan possess emotions? We just read that he has great wrath, and in Revelation 12:17 we find these words, So the dragon was enraged with the woman, and went off to make war with the rest of her children, who keep the commandments of God, and hold to the the testimony of jesus does satan have a will and decision-making capabilities indeed he does second timothy two twenty-six says people may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive to do his will does satan have power evidently he does 1 John 5.19 tells us we know that we are children of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Is Satan all-powerful? Absolutely not. Job chapters 1 and 2 make it clear that God is in total control of Satan's power and activities. In fact, these chapters remind us that Satan's activities are restricted and regulated. Some parameters the scriptures outline for us of Satan's broad range of activities are tempting matthew four three and first thessalonians three five deceiving second corinthians eleven three and revelation twelve three Working in the disobedient Ephesians two two, accusing Christians Zechariah three one and two and Revelation twelve ten, being a destroyer, the name given him in Revelation nine eleven, and seeking to devour Christians one Peter 5.8 eight. But friends, as Christ followers and blood bought believers, we have a defense and victory over Satan. Should we? Respect the devil? Absolutely, according to Jude verse nine, if the Archangel Michael respected him, so should we, and we should not be ignorant of Satan's schemes, as ephesians six eleven counsels in fact, ephesians six ten through eighteen should be memorized and read by all of us Christ followers, regularly. We must resist the devil per James four seven and first Peter five nine and we must rely on Christ's power. Christ's providence, and Christ's promises. Colossians 2.15 comforts us with the fact that Jesus Christ disarmed and triumphed over the spiritual powers. Hebrews 7.25 tells us that Jesus Christ is now always interceding for us. And First John eight tells, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And Romans 16.20 encourages us with these words, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In this life, friends, Satan is a being we must contend with, and at times God's providence and will dictate we engage him and battle him with our faith. But we're not alone in this battle. First Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering and the god of peace and grace will call you to his eternal glory in christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen amen well friends we're at the end of our program I hope today's and next time's study on the good angels will help us better understand some fundamentals the Bible reveals about Satan in the angelic realm. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. Please also consider joining A Word from the Word support team. Just ask me for the details. Thanks to those of you who are helping this program stay on the air. And thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends,
0: if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, Email him at a word from the word at minister dot com. That's a word from the word at minister dot com.